MVP. <laughs> so great to see you. Loved hearing the energy coming, uh, coming backstage. It was just great to hear you. Excited to be here. Uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Yeah. I like it's good, you know. Hey, I just wanted to share some. You know, we, we have this team over in Tanzania right now. You remember they're going to five different villages uh, where there is no church and sharing the message of Jesus. And we just got word. So far, they have baptized 213 people. It's amazing. Um, so it's just so good, you know, to see what God is doing over there, what he's doing here. This week got VBS and so on. So uh, just excited. Just encourage you also to continue to pray for that team as they'll be wrapping up soon and then pray, you know, for VBS this week. But um, I'm excited to go in our time of teaching. And so I know Johnny mentioned, for those of you in our worship center here on the patio, you've already heard the thing about pulling out your program, get your notes, notes sheet. But for those of you joining us online, especially those joining maybe the first time, you may not know this, but up at the top or the bottom, depending on the format, there's a little link to this message note sheet. Click on there and you'll have a choice of three different options. And so I'd encourage you to, to download to, to your iPad or to your uh, printed off. So we're going to go into our time of teaching. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Okay, let's pray. So God, we're just excited to be here. We're so thankful for who you are and the work you're doing in our life. Lord, as we begin today, I just remember the words of the Apostle Paul that he said, when you gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus... And the power of the Lord is there. And so, Lord, we just want to acknowledge your presence here. You're here. We just want to be open as your church to whatever the Spirit would say to us. We pray you'd show us the next step in our journey. We just thank you so much for Jesus and all he is and all he means to us as we unpack that today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today in the capital of the city. Uh, this is where he's lived for a long time with his wife, but... Today, he's walking back through, uh, through the city, taking a shortcut through some kind of the, the kind of back streets of the city on his way home. And as he walks, his, his mind is wandering. He's, he's just heard the news, uh, the news that he's been fearing for several weeks. If you were there the last few weeks in his part of the city, there have been riots and they've been so severe, the military has been called in to help break them up. And so Everyone's wondering what's going to happen. What's the government going to do to stop this situation, to quell the disturbances? And what he's afraid of has just come true, that the edict has come down. And he is not sure what he's going to tell his wife. He's trying to, to run it through. How does he tell her? How does he tell her that we have to leave the city that's our city? How does he tell her? It's not just this then, this is shut down their business and, and move but also all their friends, all their closest family. And so as he walks down that final, final lane towards his house, his mind is spinning. Wondering how he's going to communicate this devastating news. Well, today we're continuing this journey that we've been on. Uh, we're in this series right now that's called The Gospel of God. And for those of you who are new, and every week I like just to take a couple minutes to kind of bring us up to speed, because I know every week we've got new people here, that, that uh, this series is just an in-depth look at one of the most important letters ever written in the history of the world. It's uh, part of what we call our New Testament, the second part of our Bible. It's a letter written from one of the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Paul, or if you really knew it, this, we call it the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a group of Jesus followers who live in the, the, the capital of the Roman Empire, in the city of Rome, about a million people at this time. And so we call this letter the letter to the Romans. And so if you've been with us the last uh, four weeks, 
We've been doing an in-depth kind of uh, deep dive into the first seven verses of his intro, the first half of his intro and the first seven verses. And we've been looking at, at five key words that help us to understand this message that God has given to the apostle to communicate to us that he calls the gospel of God. And so today we're gonna wrap up this first, uh, first half of the intro, but we have one final word I want us to, to, to do a deep dive on. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, uh, let's open up, turn on there in your note sheet, you have a section that is called the gospel of God, the introduction. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and jump in. So uh, in verse one, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. You've been here, you know this word servant, it's the very first word we've, 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 we've looked at. It's the word doulos or slave in the Greek, right? So it's the first of our five words we've looked at. So Paul, a, a servant, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. And this is the second of the five words, uh, apostolos, a personal representative of Jesus to speak with his authority. And he says he's set apart for the gospel of God, where the title for the series comes from. But this is the word we'll be looking at today, the new word, the word gospel, which is in Greek, euangelion. And we'll talk more about that later. He says this gospel, this euangelion, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, what we call our Old Testament. And of course, it's regarding his son, like everything in this story kind of leads up to and out of his son, who as to his earthly life or his human lineage was a descendant of David. So as prophesied, the Messiah would come from the line of David, but who through the spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit was appointed the son of God in power. This is how Jesus was revealed to be the son of God, the Messiah, uh, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Lord is the third of the five words we've looked at, uh, kurios, this that as a result of his life and death and resurrection, Jesus has been elevated to the top position of authority in the cosmos, in the, in the created world, both seen and unseen realms. And he says, through him, verse five, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles. And so we've talked about Paul's primary calling is to share Jesus with those who are non-Jewish. Uh, and he's to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes through faith. A very important Important phrase we'll be looking at more today. And he says, and you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So remember, we've learned that at the time of this writing, 57 AD, that we believe that most of the Christians in Rome were Gentiles, but it's not always been that way, and we'll talk more about that later, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now to all who are in Rome who are loved by God, agapatos, the loved ones, and are called to be his holy people, his hagioi, his saints, those who are called out of darkness to be transformed, to, to become like Jesus, live this new life. And then these two final words that we've done a deep dive on, Joel covered them last week, grace and peace, charis and arene, that we come into this new relationship with God through Jesus. It's a new relationship, it's entirely a gift of God's grace, it's not something we deserve. And we enter in, we're no longer enemies of God, uh, as he says in chapter five, that we become we become his sons and daughters. We have peace with God. The war is over. And that's what he says next. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, who's adopted us now, and from the Lord 
Jesus Christ. And so that's the intro. And what we've seen in the, in the last four weeks is that Paul's intros are extremely important. That in the intros to his letter, he's often kind of entering, uh, kind of introducing some of the key topics that he's going to be talking about and unpacking uh, in his letter. And if that's true in most of his uh, intros, it's especially true in this letter. And so uh, in this intro, Paul is using several key words uh, what I call gospel words, words that are a, a big part of his vocabulary that he uses to explain this message that God has given and trusted him to give the gospel of God. And so today, uh, each of these words that we've been looking at is, like I said, a window into his worldview. Like you know, if you look in that word, it's like looking through it, we see a different view of this new worldview that he's bringing to us who God is, who we are, how our relationship works, kind of the path to life, the future of the cosmos, and so on. And so today we're going to be looking at the kind of sixth and final word. There's more words we could like. We may pick them up later in the series, but, but these are the words we're going to look at now. And the sixth and final word today is the word for gospel, the word euangelion. And so as normal, to understand this word, uh, our goal today is to take off, like I often say, take off and see, I'm the only teacher that uses glasses up here, so it works for me. But uh, to take off our 21st century lenses, right, and put on our first century lenses and to ask the question, not to, what does gospel mean to us today, but when Paul, Jesus, the early church, used this word gospel, what did their first hearers uh, hear? Like, what, wh how was that word used in the Roman Empire? How was it used in the Jewish scriptures and the early church? And so uh, we're going to be looking at those two different backgrounds, this very important word. But before we do that, I just want to put neon lights around this, how important this word is for the Apostle Paul. This word gospel kind of summarizes his life and ministry. Um, it, this is an extremely important word. Remember that in this intro, Paul is introducing himself to people that have, he's, most of whom he's never met, people that he wants to partner with in future ministry. Remember that he's often maligned as an apostle. His message is often misrepresented. And so this opening intro is extremely important. And right away, he talks on about how only who he is as a slave and apostolos of Jesus, but he talks about what his life is about. And you see it there in, in verse three, there in your note sheet, he says, Paul, a, a, ser a servant, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle or apostolos, and set apart for what? Gospel. So his whole life is about this gospel, this euangelion of God. And... Uh, for Paul, this is his shorthand uh, to kind of describe this big picture message of the story of our race and the story of the cosmos and how God has acted in his son in Christ to reconcile all of creation, seen and unseen to him through the coming of Jesus. And so um, if you were here the very first week of this series, uh, I, I shared a quote with you from one of the most respected kind of New Testament scholars of our day. His name is N.T. Wright. And I love what he says about this, this word, euangelion, the gospel. He says there on your note sheet, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. It defined Paul. It defined his work. It defined his communities, like these churches he started. It was the shorthand summary of the theology which in turn was the foundation for the central pillar for the new worldview. Yeah. That this word is like 
the central pillar for understanding this worldview that he's sharing with us is truth about who God is, who we are, path to life, and so on, right? And so today we wanna, we wanna dive in, and the question we wanna ask is, so, so what does this word mean to the Apostle Paul? What does it mean to his first hearers? And to understand that, we've gotta go back in time and say, how is this word used in the Roman Empire, and then how is it used in the Jewish scripture? So let's talk about that. So let's talk about the Roman Empire. So the, the word euangelion was a common word, and the Roman Empire. And what I want you to catch is it wasn't primarily a religious word. Like we think of it today as a religious word, but it wasn't a religious word. <clears throat> it was um, the word itself, for those of you who are like word nerds like me, um, the, the, it's made up of a prefix, E-U, right, U, and then this word, angelion. Uh, so E-U is a prefix in Greek that means good. And then that's come down to us to like in English, like euphoria, right? Like the word um, uh, uh, kind of eugenics, like the word um, euphemism, like the word um, euthanasia, right? Which is a euphemism for killing someone. Anyway, <laughs> um, so it's a prefix you. Right? And then it's this word, angelion. Angelion is a word for a message. Right? So we, we see this in the word angels. Like angels are angelos, angelos in, in Greek, right? Angelos. And so, so what's an angel? An angel is a messenger, right? So the word euangelion literally means a good message. Or as we would often say, what do we often say? It's the good what? Yeah, the good news, okay? So... Uh, what I want you to catch, like I said, that initially this word was not used for primarily religious purposes. It could be used for like military. It could be any significant good news. Like, hey, there was a battle. We won the battle. That's Euang the euangelion comes. It could be good political news, which remember we used to have that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been years, right? But uh, yeah, so uh, like good political, it could be good personal news, like significant personal news. But here's what I want you to catch. This word is especially important for us because of a particular use in the first century. This word, euangelion, was associated especially with the emperor of Rome and with the empire. So let's go back in time, right, first century, the first Roman emperor, some of you will recognize his name, was the emperor Augustus, Augustus Caesar. He was the emperor when, uh, when Jesus was born, not when, the mess, you know, not when the church was born, but when Jesus was born, he was the emperor. And so what do we know about Augustus from history? Well, there was prophecy, supposedly, about his birth, that he would be a born of the gods, that he would usher in this new era of world peace. In fact, here's some of the titles that were used for Augustus, and they're actually on the coins of the Roman Empire. Catch us, see if this sounds familiar. His official title, the savior of the world. Uh, second title, the son of God. Third title, the Lord of earth. Does that sound familiar? And so when, the, when there was something big happening in the life of an emperor, like the, the, the new emperor was born, a euangelion would be sent out to the entire empire announcing the good news. When that emperor would come of age, a euangelion would be sent out to the, to the entire empire, especially when he would ascend to the throne, 
the euangelion would go out, the new emperor who's going to bring peace to the empire is here. Can you see how, what a powerful word this was? That when Jesus and the apostles chose this word, it's like what they were saying is, no, 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 no. That's not the euangelion. The euangelion, the good news, is that the true savior of the world has been born. That the true savior, the true son of God has been born. The true Lord of heaven and earth has come. And by his resurrection, he is bringing all heaven and earth healed and restored under his leadership and ushering a time of ultimate peace that we've always longed for. Powerful word. Let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about the Jewish scripture. So if you've been here the last few weeks, you know this. I've talked about it twice. I'm not going into depth today. But for reasons we won't go into today, the, the, for the early church, for the early Christians, for Paul, the early apostles, the, the Bible that they used was the, 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 was the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures that we call the Septuagint. Uh, and it's represented by the Roman numerals, capital LXX, which means 70. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, the word euangelion was very important word for the prophet Isaiah. And so to be technical, he didn't use the word euangelion. He used the verb euangelizo. And it's kind of the same, same thing. And so uh, if we go back in time, let's go back to the year 586-587 B.C. And Israel, the, the, the southern kingdom of Israel has just finally been conquered by the superpower Babylon. The people have gone into exile. The temple has been destroyed. And the nation is wondering, is there any future for us? Has our sins become so great that God is done with us? That we've broken the covenant on our side. Was he going to break it on his side? And the prophets of Israel were saying, no, he's not done that one day God is going to forgive the names, forgive the sins of our nation. One day God is going to rescue us from exile. One day he's going to bring us back to Zion, to Jerusalem. One day God is going to be our king again. One day all wrongs will be turned to right, and the temple of the Lord will be established again in Jerusalem, and all the nations of the world will come. And so Isaiah refers to the message that's going to come one day, that that is happening as the euangelion. So I want to give you an example. So Isaiah, probably the most important prophet in the Old Testament, most, uh, you know, some most important prophecies about the coming of Messiah. But there in your note sheet in Isaiah 52, here's an example. So in Isaiah 52, uh, Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring what? Yeah, euangelizo. They're announcing good news. So, so he looks off in the future. He sees these messengers coming to Jerusalem that are bringing good news in context that the exile is over, that God is bringing the people back. He's forgiven the nation. He's going to restore the nation. And he says, they're coming with that message, the euangelion. And he says, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, again, Galion, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Jerusalem, your God reigns. You see? And so at the time of Jesus, all Israel is waiting. I mean, they're back in the land. Yeah, but, but everything's wrong. 
They're under foreign oppression and the pagan leaders. The temple, God's never returned like in power like the Solomon. It's like they're still waiting. They're still waiting for the euangelion. And can you imagine in that context how powerful it was when Jesus showed up and used this term to announce why he had come? And so in Mark chapter 1, it says, Jesus went into Galilee, and this is how Mark summarizes the whole message of Jesus, proclaiming the what? The good news. And guess what? I put the word there for you, that proclaiming the euangelion, right? That the time of the prophet has come. And he says, that the good news the euangelion of God. And he says, the time has come. You know, the time predicted by Isaiah. He said, the kingdom of God. Remember, your God reigns. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the what? The euangelion, the good news. That that we're entering into that new era where the prophecies are going to be fulfilled. In fact, when Jesus comes early in his ministry, Luke tells us that that early in his ministry, he's already started it. He's announced the kingdom is near. Uh, he's healing people, and he comes home to Nazareth. And they've heard of his reputation, and so they ask him to speak in the synagogue. And so Jesus gets up, and he asks for the scroll. They said, what do you want to talk about? He said, could you give me the scroll of Isaiah? So remember, they don't have Bibles like we do. They've got scrolls, and so they have to go over the Torah closet and look through. Let's see, there's Nahum, there's uh, the Torah, there's, you know, okay, we got, we got Isaiah, right? Big scroll, big scroll, because remember, they don't, have, they don't have verses, they don't have chapters, right? They just have big scroll. Well, chapter 61 is what Jesus wants to read from. There's only 66 chapters. This is going to take, it's like a commercial break. You need time to unroll the scroll. So he gets up there and he's like, uh, 12, uh, 23, uh, 32, right? And he finally gets to what the passage he wants. And this is the passage he reads. And from Isaiah, what we call Isaiah 61, he says, the spirit of Yahweh is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim what? Euangelion. And to proclaim Euangelion to the poor, which in Hebrew has a sense, not just like poverty stricken, but like humble, and he has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was one of the prophecies about the coming of the kingdom. Right? And so he reads this prophecy and every eye is on him. What's he going to say? Well, so now he's got to roll up the scroll. <laughs> It's a dramatic pause. (laughs) He gives it to the attendant who goes, puts it back in the Torah closet. And then this is what Jesus says. Today, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your presence. I'm here announcing the euangelion. I'm announcing that God is coming. I'm announcing the kingdom of God is here. But of course, as you know, the story didn't play out as Israel expected. This is why Paul says that he was declared to be the son of God in power by the resurrection of the dead. Because it would take something special to to convince Israel that the Messiah 
was killed by Rome, right? So the story is not working out like everyone expected. And so Jesus is, he doesn't kick out the Romans. He is conquered by Rome. He is humiliated and crucified on a Roman cross, but then raised from the dead. And so there's a lot of questions. Well, if this is the Messiah, if he's announcing the euangelion, then what about all these promises of the prophets? Where does it all fit in? We're not entered in that time of peace. Israel's still under. And so in this letter, Paul is sharing this gospel of God, the euangelion, and how all the pieces fit together and the story that God has been telling from the very beginning. And as it raises so many questions, I want to focus today on three specific questions that Paul is addressing in this letter that we're going to be studying that are incredibly important. And you, you say, are there only three? No, there's more than three. How do you know? Because I had a fourth one I didn't have time for. But <laughs> I've been looking at three of the most important, all right? So there in your note sheet, the gospel have got three key questions. So, so the first question that Paul is answering in this, as he kind of unpacks this gospel of God, the question is, what does it take to enter the kingdom. Like if, if, you, if Jesus is announcing that the kingdom of God has come, if the announcement of the early church is through the life and death and resurrection, the kingdom has come. As Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 4, the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, it's a power. Or if you'll say in Romans, when he gets to Romans 14, the kingdom of God's not a matter of eating and drinking the old food. It's, it's righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. So, so if the kingdom of God has begun, what does it take to enter that kingdom? And what's interesting is that, of course, for the apostle Paul, before he met Jesus, he would have answered this question completely differently. In fact, as a Jew, and as kind of many, if most Jews would have answered it like this in the first century, what does it take to enter the kingdom of God, which they saw coming at the end of time? What does it take? And so for many Jews would say, well, it takes being a Jew. Like we're the chosen people. The kingdom's about us, and that's why we have this circumcision. It marks us out. It's a circumcision, it's a sign of the covenant. God has entered into covenant with us and he's given us his Torah and those are the signs that we have been chosen and so to get in the kingdom, you need to be a Jew. Other Jews might have answered a little bit differently. Well, yeah, you need to be a Jew, but you also need to be following Torah. You need to be a faithful Jew. But in this letter to the Romans, Paul is going to talk to both Jews and Gentiles and says, actually, that it doesn't matter what race you're from, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, and actually, it doesn't matter how religious or spiritual or non-spiritual you are, and actually, it doesn't really depend on your lifestyle or how you've lived, that we're all part of a rebel race. And we've all rebelled against the creator. And we are all part of this fallen race. We've all received this fallen spiritual DNA with its magnetic pull to the dark side. We're all a pale shade of what we were created to be. And none of us are gonna be able to enter the kingdom based on our own resume. And he's gonna explain how this is why Messiah came, and this is why he didn't kick out Rome and start it now, because 
He could start his kingdom, but if you've got a rebel race, we still got a problem. Something deeper needs to happen. And so in the first three chapters, he's going to be unpacking for us kind of the spiritual history of our race, both Gentiles and Jews, high-minded Gentile philosophers and all of us, of how we're all, as a result of our rebellion against God, we are all under what he will describe as the wrath of God. We are a race under judgment because of our rebellion and our high treason against the king. And this is why Messiah came, and this is why Messiah died and rose to create a way for us to be made right with God and to be transformed. And that leads to number two. And by the way, that's the first three chapters. First two and a half chapters are going to focus on this first question. Okay, let's talk about the second question. The second question is, what is God's vision for our life? So the second question Paul wants to answer is, what is God's big picture vision for each of our lives? And so this is an interesting question because uh, remember I said we have to take off our, our 21st century lenses and put on our first. So if you were to ask, I think many if not most Christians in our culture, what is the gospel? Chances are we'd get an answer like this, that Jesus came and died for our sins, so if we trust him with our life, we won't go to hell. We don't, we'll go to heaven. Something like that. And what we're going to see in this series, it's not so much that that's wrong, it's just it's extremely anemic. It's a very truncated, shallow description of the gospel. What we're going to see in this series is God's vision is so much bigger. That his vision is to bring all of heaven and earth healed and restored under the leadership. And that starts with our individual lives. And what we're going to see as we get into chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8 is that Jesus came not just so that we could be, in Paul's language, justified, declared righteous before the judge of all the earth and enter into the kingdom. But he came so that we would be transformed, so that we catch this, we, we could be restored to the glory of God. What do you mean by glory? I mean the deep goodness, the right passions, the love, the power, the authority, the beauty that we are created for. There's a really interesting statement in Romans 3 that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It's there on your note sheet, Romans 3. This is coming in the first part as he's wrapping up the first part. But he says, uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many of you would say, I'm familiar with that verse? I've heard that verse. Yeah, a lot of you, okay? And the rest of you just didn't want to raise your hand. But... <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're really familiar. And so this is, a, this is a key gospel verse, right? We're sharing the gospel. It's like, hey, all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God. And we use it to say, hey, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, right? And it's interesting because in the Greek, the tense of the verb for all of sin is what we call an aorist tense. It's something that happened at a point in time in the past. So scholars think very likely here what Paul is referring to is, and he'll, he'll talk more about this when he gets to chapter five, is how that we as a race were all in a sense in Adam. When he sinned, we all sinned. Right? 
And so there was a point in time, but then he goes on and gets, he says, we all sinned at a point in time, and as a result, we all fall short. That's in present tense. We all fall short every day and every moment of the glory of God. Notice, men and women, we were created for glory. The problem we often have is we compare ourselves with one another. And we're all screwed up. You just go, well, you're screwed up more than me, so it makes me look pretty good, right? <laughs> like, how many can find someone who's more screwed up than you? Yeah, like we all can, right? Like, it's two of you are like, uh, yeah, so what I want you to catch is that we have lost our vision, what we were created for as a race. We were created to rule. We were created to be like Jesus. We were created to be amazing. And we, Paul says, we have fallen so short of what we were created to, to be. And he says, this is why Jesus has come. Not just to be justified so we can be into the kingdom, but so we can regain the glory that we can be like Jesus again. In fact, when he gets to Romans 8, and so I, t I mentioned this, this whole vision about his, what he's doing, 5, 6, 7, and 8, but the end of chapter 8, he starts talking about his God's vision for the cosmos, and we'll get there in a minute. But, but in that context, as he looks back with his big picture story, he's told in eight chapters, he says, here's what it's about. He says, there in your note sheet, and chapter 8 and verse 29, he says, for those that God foreknew, so he's talking about those of us who come to Christ, he, he says that God actually knew us before time. And he, he says, and then secondly, he predestined us, he planned this out, and this was the plan, this is the goal. He says he predestined us to be what? Conform to the image of what? His son, right? That this is the goal. This is the goal, to restore the glory and to become the people, we are created people like Jesus. And he says that he might be, catch this, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is the big picture vision. We're going to get there next. I'm kind of trying to hold back here. We're going to get there number three. But, but, but did you catch it? And what's interesting, and if I had to do this again, I would add verse 30 to this, which I didn't. But let me tell you what he says. Paul stands back from the big picture story of, our, of your life and my life, and he says, those whom God foreknew before time, he predestined, planned it out, and those he predestined, he called in time, and those he called that he justified, we come to Jesus, so we're made right with God, and he said, and those he justified, he glorified, you see? See, we were created for glory. We lost the glory. This is what the gospel is about, restoring the glory. Okay? Powerful. And so he's going to talk about that in chapters 5 through 8, and then come back in 12 through 16. And when we get to chapter 12, it's really practical. Okay, so what does it look like to follow Jesus? It's going to start off by, hey, in light of what God has done, this epic story, give yourselves completely to God. And he says, and then, and then start this transformation process where you're transformed by the renewing of your mind because God has a will for your life and it's amazing, it's good, it's pleasing to him, it's perfect. But it, for, to experience it, we have to be transformed. Right? So God's vision for our life is big. And let me just say this, that you may be here today, and you may think, I, I'm just nothing special. 
I don't have a lot going for me. You may be here today and say, you don't know my past. I was sexually abused. I've been raped three times. Uh, Your story is, hey, I've done this. I've committed that. You don't know how many people I've slept with. You don't know. I killed a man. You don't know. I came out of prison. And you're here today, and you're like, hey, I'm just happy to be here. I'll sit in the back row. I'm just thankful I get to go to heaven, but I, I don't, I can't really be anything else. And can I tell you, there is no such thing as an average or normal Christian. There is no such thing. That if you are a follower of Jesus, he knew you before time began. He predestined you to come to him. He called you in time. He justified you when you gave your life to Jesus and your destiny is glory. There is no average Christian. And men and women, that is the gospel. That's the gospel, right? Now, number three. Now, number three is that we're going to take a little bit longer on this one, and it's going to take just a little longer to unpack. But So the question is, what is God's vision for our race and for the cosmos? So again, as American Christians, we often think of the gospel in in very individualistic terms. It's between me and God, uh, I got saved here. That's the gospel. You know, you need to get saved, I got saved. But what we're seeing in Romans is that the gospel is much bigger than that. It really is, as I've mentioned before, as Paul says in Colossians 1, that through the blood of Christ that all creation, visible and invisible realms, would be reconciled to God, right? This is all things may be put right. And so what we're going to see in Romans, this starts with the cosmos, right? That in Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul talks about God's plan for the entire created universe. And he says that the cosmos right now, he says it's groaning as in the pains of childbirth, as it's suffering the decay that's part of the creation now. What we call in science, right, the second law of thermodynamics, the the law of entropy, everything's running down, right? This creation is not, in spite of how beautiful it is, is not what it was created to be. And it says the creation itself is longing, to catch this, to be set free into the freedom, and, and catch this word, the glory of the children of God. The destiny of this planet, of this cosmos, the, the whole creation, is tied to us because we were put over in charge of the cosmos, and when we rebelled, the cosmos experienced. And so when we are restored, when Jesus comes back and we're restored to glory, guess what? The cosmos gets restored to glory. And this is part of the gospel. This is the gospel of God that that God has given Paul to share with us. And then what about us as a race? As I said, we often tend to think of our salvation as very individualistic terms. And of course, it is that. We talked about it in question number two. But here's what I want you to catch, that God's vision is much bigger than saving individuals. God's vision is to create a new race. This race is a fallen race. It's under the judgment of God. The only way we get out is we either die ourselves or we die through the death of Jesus and we get reborn. This race is under the judgment of God. The only way we get out is by dying and resurrecting with Jesus. And when we do, we become part of this new race that's going to live with him forever. And that's the vision. And believe it or not, that is one of the big themes 
almost the subtext, if you will, of much of this letter to Romans. And to understand that, we have to understand a little bit more about the church of Rome. So let's go back. If you go back to the first week of this series, one of the things they said is that we don't know a lot about the start of the church of Rome, that our best guess, we know Paul didn't start it. We don't know who did, but the best guess of scholars is that some Jewish pilgrims who had gone on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, been exposed to the message of Jesus early on, uh, believed in Jesus as the Messiah. They went back to Rome, back to their synagogues, and they brought the good news, the euangelion, that the Messiah has come. Now, when this happened, we know from the book of Acts that when the euangelion was came, like when Paul would go and share in, in Jewish synagogue, a couple things would happen. Number one is that some Jews would respond. They believe in Jesus the Messiah, and they give their life to Jesus the Messiah. Most Jews did not. We also know that in the synagogues, there were often what was called God-fearers. These were Gentiles who had come to believe in the God of Israel, but they had not fully converted. One of the reasons is it required for men to be circumcised, which is a major hurdle to conversion. All right? So, so we know that when the gospel would come into a Jewish synagogue, that some Jews would believe, but also some Gentiles would believe. But you, like majorities, usually start majority. Uh, you know, majority would be Jewish. But as I've said over and over in this in this letter, that when Paul writes this letter in fifty-seven, the scholars believe it's majority Gentiles. So what happened in the twenty years? Well, something very important happened in the year 49 AD. And for this, I'd really encourage you, let's come on, just jot a couple dates down so you can see this on a timeline. So this takes us back to the story we started the day with. We started the day, the story of this man who's walking through the capital city. It's his home. It's where he's lived. There's been riots in the city. The government stepped in, um, and, and his worst fear has been uh, announced. This edict has come down. And he's going to have to announce it to his wife. Well, this is a, kind of my version of a very true story. So here's the way it works. The, the couple in that story I'm talking about, kind of my version of a power couple in the New Testament. Their names, I'm sure many will recognize them, Priscilla and Aquila. Right? Okay. So in 49 AD, they were living in Rome. They were Christians. They were Jewish Christians in Rome. And in 49 AD, the Roman historian Suetonius tells us that in 49, there was a, a series of major, he calls them disturbances, probably riots, um, and the instigator of these riots was a man named Crestus. Now, most scholars are pretty convinced that what this really was, was disturbances over the gospel and the message about Jesus being the Christos. And so as a result of this, the Emperor Claudius issues an edict that all Jews cannot be in Rome. You have to leave Rome in 49 AD. So Priscilla and Aquila, they have to leave. And what's interesting, this is corroborated in Acts chapter 18. Because in Acts 18, we're told when the Apostle Paul first came to bring the gospel to Corinth, that he met a Jewish couple who were believers named Priscilla and Aquila, who'd recently come from Rome because they had to leave due to Emperor Claudius's, and that was in 51, 51 AD. 
So when Paul comes to Corinth, right, he hangs out with this guy. He lives with them because they're all tent makers. He joins them in business. He uses this place as a place to launch the message of Jesus in Corinth. And so they become very close. Okay, so, so picture this. It's the year 49 AD. You've got these house churches in Rome that are majority Jewish, we're guessing, uh, but some Gentiles as well. And now all Jews in Rome have to leave. Well, that's going to include the Christian Jews, like Priscilla and Aquila, too. So who does that leave behind? The Gentile Christians. And so now they're in all the positions of leadership. Now it's their view of the gospel that's taking hold, right? And so what's interesting is that five years after 49 AD and 54, Claudius dies. And a new Caesar comes to the throne. His name was Nero. He wasn't so crazy at the beginning. And Nero rescinds the edict and allows Jews to return. So it's interesting, remember Paul's writing in 57 AD, three years after that edict is rescinded. And when Paul gets to chapter 16 of Romans, he starts to greet his personal friends that are in Rome. Guess who's the very first couple he says hi to? Priscilla and Aquila. They're back from Corinth. They're back in Rome. And so what's happening is that the Jews are getting kicked. So they're coming back. But now they're coming back to churches that's been under Gentile leadership for five years. So imagine this. Imagine I left Rocky Peak, and you get in a progressive Christian who doesn't believe in Orthodox, you know, God forbid, right? Just God forbid. But just imagine that. You come back, you've been, you leave for five years, you come back because you moved to Tennessee because you thought life would be better, and it wasn't, so you came back, right? <laughs> but you now live in an apartment because you can't afford anything else because you sold your hole back there and you had 18 acres, right? <laughs> so you come back and you're now living in a one-bedroom uh, apartment with 18 kids, and and you come to Rocky Peak, and it's like, what happened to this place? Like, it's a different message. That's what scholars believe happened in the Church of Rome. And so what we're going to see when we get to chapters 14 and 15 is there's some significant tension. Because the Gentiles, at least some of them, are looking down their nose at the Jews. You all rejected the gospel. You rejected the Messiah, most of you right? God's done with Israel. That's over. That Israel stuff is over. You're so conservative. All this Sabbath talk and new moon thing, and you won't eat pork, and you won't eat BLTs when you come to my house. I'm just sick of it, you know? It's like, why don't you grow up? You don't have any, don't you understand the freedom we have in Christ? And you have the Jews like, what's wrong with you guys? You don't take the word of God seriously. Haven't you read the Old Testament? How important the Sabbath is? Have you read about these food laws, right? And so there's this conflict. And once you understand that, you begin looking back through the letter of Romans and you see a major message on the subtext of Romans is Paul is explaining how the story of Israel and the story of Jesus is one story. No Gentiles, you can't write off the nation of Israel. His promises are there. God is one day gonna bring Many Jewish people to Jesus. However that happens, scholars will debate that, but no, he's not done with the nation of Israel. Don't be so arrogant. 
God broke off some branches from the olive tree and grafted it in, but remember, it's the root that supports you. It's not you supporting the root. You're the latecomers here. Don't be so arrogant. And you think you're so mature, you can write off your weaker brothers because they, they, they do the laws and they're not as much freedom. Hey, here's a sign. If you're truly strong, you accept them even though they're wrong. That's a sign of a strong believer is someone who puts up with the weaknesses of the weaker and not to give it. And he says, hey, and you Jewish believers, yes, you need to loosen up a little bit, right? There's some freedom in Christ here. And so let's talk about that. But what you see is that a big part of this story, and we see it right in the intro. Paul says, the gospel of God that was prophesied in the holy scriptures. And we're going to see it all the way through. He's going to say, hey, do we, do we nullify the law of God by this message of faith in Christ? We don't nullify it. We uphold it. And so Paul is going to be showing how, no, this epic story is a big story. And he's, where does Israel fit in that story? And how about the promises? The fact that most Jews aren't coming to Jesus. Has God's word failed? Has God not kept his covenant? Like, what's going on here? And so a big part, and so we get to chapters 9 through 11. We get to chapters 14 and 15. But also all the way through, we're going to see this, is Paul's going to say, this is one big story. And here's the point, that God's vision is to restore the cosmos and to create a new community, a new race who will rule forever from Jews and Gentiles, people of all backgrounds, that we come together with one voice in chapter 15, we give praise to God. Okay, so so these are three big questions. You know, um, How do we get into the kingdom? Chapters one through three. What is God's vision for our individual lives? Chapters five through eight. Uh, What's the vision for the cosmos? Eight. uh, What about the big picture story of God? Well, nine through 11 uh, and uh, 14 and 15, right? And so these things are gonna overlap at times. But these are three of the biggest questions that Paul is answering in this letter as he shares his message, the gospel of God. But I've got one question for you. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called the gospel of God, one key question. So here's a question. How will you respond to the euangelion? Remember that at its core, euangelion is an announcement. It's an announcement that God has acted in Christ to reconcile all of creation through the life, death, and resurrection, God has acted to to reconcile and restore. It's an announcement. And the question is, how will you respond? Because an announcement needs a response, doesn't it? In fact, Paul talks about this in his intro. Every week we've read this there in your note sheet. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Through him, through Jesus, we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to to the what? The obedience that comes from what? Okay, so he says, this is our calling to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And so in the Greek, what it literally says is to call the Gentiles, catch this, to the obedience of faith. That's what it says. So the question is, what do you mean? So some scholars say, well, what we think he means is like the NIV translates it here. It's like true faith leads to obedience. Other scholars say, no, the, 
The, the topic of faith is so big in Romans, especially the first three chapters that we're saved through our faith in the Messiah. He's saying that, that what he's saying is, how do you respond to the mess of the euangelion about Jesus? Are you obeying the announcement, responding in faith? But either way, they end up meaning very similar things because as we've seen is the announcement is that there's a new Lord of the universe. And to respond in faith to that is trusting this new Lord, not only for our salvation, but surrendering our lives. And so the question, as you hear the euangelion, um, then, then how are you responding? One of the things I've said several times throughout this series, I kept promising we'll come back to it, today's the day, is I've said that what we're going to see in this series is the gospel is not just invitation, it's invitation and it's command. It's an announcement, right? And that announcement, part of that announcement is there's a new king and he's, he's offering you forgiveness, total amnesty for your rebellion against the king. It's not based on your resume, not based on your performance. It's based on his performance and what he did for us on that cross. And so there's, a, there's an invitation to to put down your weapon, to leave the kingdom of darkness, to step in and receive this free gift and to begin this process of transformation by the power of his spirit and to be part of this kingdom that's coming, this new community that's coming. It's an invitation. But on the other side, it's a command. The command is there's a new king in town and you have to decide, are you for him or are you against him? I love the way N.T. Wright puts it he says, the gospel was a command requiring obedience, much more than an invitation seeking a response. The command of the gospel, I love this, is a summons to give the allegiance of body and mind, heart and soul to Jesus. Right. And so the question is, how will you respond as we go through this series and this letter? How will you respond to the euangelion of God? The announcement of the life and death and resurrection and the rule of King Jesus. Like, how will you respond? So, so for example, some of you are here, maybe you're joining us online. You're not yet a follower of Jesus. You're just checking out Jesus. You're just checking out church. You're enjoying the messages. You're enjoying the worship. It's something special here. You sense it's something spiritual. It's kind of speaking to you, but you've not yet given your life to Jesus. So the question for you is how will you respond to this announcement that the king has come? And what you're going to find out as we go through this series is that Paul is going to say this very clearly, that every one of us in this room, every one of us online, everyone that's ever lived are part of a rebel race. And that every one of us has committed high treason against the king. And therefore, every one of us is under the judgment, what Paul will call the wrath of God. And that without Jesus, there is no hope for you. That's what the gospel says. And so what we have to realize is when we're faced with the announcement of the kingdom, we have to decide for or against. And often that's a process. For some, they see that right away and they, like the first time they hear it, for others, it's a process over time. But I want to spell it out for you that if you don't know Jesus, this is the gospel. That without him, you're under 
the wrath of God. And you don't have a chance at the final judgment based on your resume. And that's the truth we all have to face, right? And what about for those of us who are followers of Jesus? We could guess, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Well, let me ask you something. We've seen today that the gospel is much more than justification. The gospel is about transformation. And let me ask you, how committed are you to that gospel? Is this top place in your mind? How can I grow? How can I become like Jesus? How can I learn to hear his voice? How can I learn to surrender? How can I be transformed to be the person? Is that what you think of in the gospel? Or is it this like, yeah, I'm good, I'm saved. I got saved in 92. I got saved in 2005. I got saved in 2017. I'm good to go. I just come here to church, learn some things. No, 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 no. No, the gospel is that God is after you. He's after you to restore the glory, to transform you. And so let me ask you, have you embraced that gospel? Is this this a top priority? As Paul will say, I'm praying for you to be filled with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so you may please him in every way. That's the gospel. He's come to transform you. What about this? We've seen today that that, that embracing the gospel is not just a a gospel about me and my spiritual life, that he's called to be part of this new community, that's to be a light to the world. You know what? Most people in the United States have rejected Christianity because they know too many people who are Christians. And the problem is, these Christians have been like inoculated but never had the real thing, right? And so, so we're a nation of people that claim to be followers of Jesus and people look at that and say, if that's what it is, I don't, who needs it? And that's so, so God has called us to be part of this amazing movement where we are being transformed by the gospel in community. We are learning how to love and to serve one another. We're learning in chapter 12 how to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then later in chapter 12, he's going to talk about using our gifts to serve one another and the kind of character that will be a light to the world and will spread the euangelion of God. So how committed? We're going to see that the mark of a truly spiritual mature person is to put up with grace those who are immature. So how about you? How about that person in your life group who knows Jesus, but they got the wrong political view? All right, I guess they can stay. Not sure if I'm gonna love them. I'm not even sure Jesus loves them, but. It's amazing how we can fight and divide over really important but secondary issues. And when we do, we don't show our maturity. We show our immaturity. So let me ask you, are you committed to the gospel? Are you committed to fighting for the unity of the body of Christ? Are you committing to grow up and be like Jesus, who in chapter 15, Paul will say, he went to the cross to take on our immaturity. 
And he says, you need to bear with the weaknesses of others as Jesus bore with us, right? So how committed are we really to embracing the gospel of God? Isn't this a beautiful vision? It's big. It's epic. It's cosmic. It's bringing all creation healed and restored under the leadership of our true king. That's the vision. And that's the vision we're going to be exploring in this series. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we just thank you for the beauty of your word, the beauty of your gospel, this gospel of God to restore and heal all of creation, including us. We restore and glory the glory of God that we were created to walk in. And so, Lord, we pray that as we go through this series, that you'll be with us week by week and continue to help us to catch a glimpse of this epic vision. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give those of you who've never given your life to Jesus a chance to respond. You're going to have, we're going to be talking about these things a lot, but you know, there may be some of you here, whether you're here on a campus or you're watching online, that you've never really understood this gospel in this way. And today you've realized that apart from Jesus, you are in deep trouble. And, and you want to come home, and you want to bow the knee, and you want to receive this gift of forgiveness, and you want to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to be, experience the glory you were created for. You want to be part of this new community. You want to join Jesus in his movement that we'd, to bring he, all creation healed and restored. And if that's you, I want to give you a chance to do that today. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. If this expresses the desire of your heart, I just encourage you to pray along in your mind, kind of under your breath, whatever. The thing I know is if you're sincere, got to hear. And it'll be the start of a new amazing life for you. The Apostle Paul will write, if anyone's in Christ, we're a new creation. That new creation starts today for you. And so I'm going to pray this prayer and just pray along with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I apologize. I'm sorry for the rebellion of my life, all I've done to hurt you, to hurt others. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to give me this gift of amnesty. I ask you for the gift of your spirit to come and live in me and give me the power to live a new life to be transformed. And I ask you to save a spot in the next life for me. If you're here while our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, if you just prayed that prayer, first of all, I want to welcome you to the kingdom. And secondly, you're in for quite the ride. And I would love to send you just a, a short letter this week. Some, hey, here's some practical steps in your new walk with Jesus. And so what I ask you to do is on the back of your connect card, if you're here in the service with us, just kind of write the, fill out the front and the back, just say, I gave my life to Jesus, or I asked Jesus into my life, something like that. And this week, I'll send you a letter, just some, 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 here's some first steps in your new walk with him. For those of you joining us online, that if you prayed that prayer, you can do the same thing. Just email us at info at rockypeak.org. And so, Lord, we come today in the name of our King, the one who rules over heaven and earth right now. We come in the name of our glorious Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, the true Son of God, the true Lord of creation, the true Savior of the world. God, we come with you with a heart full of passion. We want to worship you with everything, as the song says. 
And so we pray that you'd come now in the power of your spirit and you take the blinders off our eyes and you reveal yourself for who you are and who we are. Together we can embrace the gospel of God. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.